Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We are to be cautious of many stumbling blocks and obstacles that might cause us to fall. We need to recognize this morning as much as we wish to run fast and we wish to run strong and maybe even steady, We must be very careful of the road that is ahead of us. The road that is ahead in this new year is not always smooth. It can get very muddy. It can get rocky. It can get thorny. And it can get very steep. When the road ahead of us is not always easy, and uh, and we must recognize the fact that we need faithfulness and also we need endurance. And uh, one of the most famous races in the world is called Tour de France, and I'm sure many of you heard of this race and maybe even caught up with many of the uh, 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 people who race in these, uh, 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 I guess, uh, 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 event. And uh, it is a 2,126-mile bicycle race through the country of France and conducted in 20 stages over a period of three weeks, an average over 100 miles a day. It is a grueling task for someone to get into this event. And, of course, they need to be prepared, and also they need to uh, uh, recognize the fact that they're going to be surprised by different events and different maybe uh, weather condition and and different, uh, 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 I guess, uh, 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 guess, uh, stumbling blocks that might be on the way. And just for comparison, that's about the uh, the miles that they have to do, 2,126 miles. Just for comparison, that's about the same as riding a bicycle from Los Angeles, California to Boise, Idaho, and then coming back. And that's how, how long they need to ride their cy- cy- uh, cycle uh, uh, in the tour with friends. And the paths set out before these cyclers are not smooth, but rich with varieties and hard conditions. The race includes a bit of everything, all-out sprints and long days traveling through the French countryside and agonizing climbs over the uh, Pyrenees Mountains and the terrifying descents from those same mountains in which the cyclists reach speed over 70 miles an hour. I mean, uh, these uh, cyclers uh, uh, get into dangerous situations to uh, uh, run this, uh, ra- I mean, this, uh, to uh, uh, get over this race. And the athletes have to be content with all kinds of hazards, narrow streets and blown tires, and even small children uh, uh, darting out into the road sometimes. And they ride in all kinds of conditions. Heat, wind, rain, even hail sometimes. And in short, it is one of the most grueling athletic contests ever devised by man. And uh, I'm sure uh, uh, as we think about this uh, event, many of these cyclers uh, are in every way expected to perform at the highest level. And they prepare themselves to get into the cycling uh, 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 with the heart of endurance and, and with the heart to finish the race. And, and, and as we think about this uh, uh, tour de France, uh, we see that this is a very grueling task, and also it takes a lot of endurance. We have another race that is called track cycling. I'm sure many of you observed this during the Olympics, and if you look at the next slide, you'll observe that uh, it's a very familiar course. And uh, we can watch this during the Olympics, uh, maybe every four years, and it's called a sprint races, generally between eight to ten laps in length. And these cyclers ride in their races in several minutes compared to a race of Tour de France, which is, ri- which is riding their race for several days up to three weeks. 
And the significant difference between these two races, Tour de France, and the track cycling are the terrains and the conditions. The track cycling is paved with smooth tracks. A same continuous path condition over and over again. And as we think about the cycling here, uh, the cycling called track cycling or track uh, uh, racing, uh, uh, this does not picture the Christian life that as we see it today. The Christian life is just like Tour de France. It's not just a matter of a few minutes or so, or maybe a sprint like the, uh, 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 the track cycling here as pictured, and, uh, but it is a long marathon, and it is a long task, and it is truly sometimes grueling, and it takes a lot of endurance. And as we are running this year, we can expect a spiritual Tour de France. And our race is just like this race. And we need to be wise in knowing this fact, and we need to be prepared for the task at hand. I think about 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Let's read this together. I think we shared together last week of this verse as well. Let's read verse 12 together. Ready? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. And uh, what is the writer admonishing? He's saying, be ready. Be ready. Because you don't know what's ahead of you. Do not be prideful of the uh, upcoming days because you don't know what's ahead of you. Be sure you're standing fast and that you are being faithful. And I think about Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See that ye walk circumspectly. What does that mean? It means to walk accurately. Make sure you know where you're going. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fool, but as wise. I think about when I was a young child, and I don't have that much memory about my father. My father died when I was 10 years old. And uh, I remember a couple of times he counseled me about some things. And when I was a child, I had this problem for just a brief period of time where I always fell a lot. And, uh, you know, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was not a pleasant thing to kind of encounter in my life. And I think my dad got a little frustrated for one moment, and he, he looked down, and, and he, kneel, he knelt, and he looked at me and said, Now, Jimmy, well, he used to call me Sejin, and, uh, which is my Korean name. And, uh, uh, and he said, Now, Sejin, I want you to look at the ground, and I want you to not just look at the ground when you walk. I want you to look at the horizon. The sky uh, is meeting the ground. You see that line right there? And I say, I see it. I want you to walk, and as you look at that horizon right there, I think maybe I was like five or six years old. I'm not sure. And then uh, he, uh, uh, he pointed to the place where I need to walk. And he says, do not just look at the ground, but look where you're going as well, what you're expected to encounter. And uh, ever since that council, I have not been falling, amen? And uh, it's been a very good journey for the last several years, all right? And, uh, but uh, 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 as we think about that little illustration, you know, the Christian life is not something that we uh, uh, take, it, take lightly and just see the things that is, that is in front of us. And, uh, uh, but we need to make sure we uh, also see what's uh, uh, ahead of us as well. We need to look ahead. And uh, we need to make sure that we are walking circumspectly and we're not blindsided. And that uh, we're walking in a very careful way, in a humble way, and uh, also in a way uh, that is faithful in the eyes of God. And uh, so as we think about our lives, as we think about this Tour de France, uh, 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 there is nothing wrong with falling as we have a race like this. And sometimes we will fall. And sometimes we will encounter some hardship. 
But the danger is that if we don't, uh, 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 if you don't see uh, God's faithfulness in our journey and also uh, God's working in our journey, we might not respond the right way. Rather than viewing it as a stepping stone, we view it as a stumbling block. And we might uh, get up from the fall, but our hearts could change for the worse. And our minds get clouded with unbelief and doubt. And, and the soul gets bitter, and it could get discontent and even disappointed. And we are never the same again, not for the better, but for the worse. And we could fall, we could get back up again, but we could be like Naomi, who said, call me Mara, meaning bitterness. And uh, because uh, she was bitter at God. Yes, she was uh, uh, heading toward Judah. Yes, she was heading toward uh, uh, her own home country. And uh, she got back up and tried to do something with her life and also with her uh, daughter-in-law. But she had this bitterness in her heart. And, uh, and she let everybody else know that she was bitter and that she was not walking in a faithful manner in the eyes of God. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be very careful of this journey. Yes, there are a lot of struggles and a lot of trials in our way, even in 2015. But how are you going to respond? How am I going to respond? Are we going to respond like Cain? As we think about the scripture here in Genesis chapter 4, we see that Cain had a bitter heart. Cain did not respond, respond the right way. He had a race to run, but he came over a block, and he fell. And, uh, of course, God wanted to bring him back up and nurture him and guide him in the right direction. But he had a hardened heart. He had a neck that was stiff, and he went in a very bitter way. And I believe that we could uh, be admonished this morning not to go in the way of Cain. And uh, let us make sure that we don't have this type of downfall like Cain had. So how can we be admonished and warned by his life story this morning? I'd like to share with you this morning three critical and unspiritual causes of Cain's downfall. First of all, we see the downfall because of pride, because of pride. Look at verse 1 and 2. It's on the slide if you don't have the scripture. It says, And Adam knew, his, <coughs> knew Eve, his wife, and Cain conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel brought what? He brought a sheep, first link, first link of his flock. And God respect unto his offering, but Cain brought the fruit of the ground and God did not respect or receive his offering. Now, why was that? Well, and uh, there is a uh, biblical answer to this. And uh, the reason is because Abel's offering, as he offered maybe the lamb, all right, the first link, first link of the flock, is a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It is, it is picturing the Son of God, the firstborn of everything. Because Abel picked the firstling of the flock. And Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the brethren. He's the firstborn of everything. And uh, uh, is, a pic is picturing Jesus Christ's sacrifice, his death on the cross. 
and, uh, and, and it pleased God well because it was honoring the Savior to come. But Cain's offering is a picture of man's work and man's toil. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we know this verse very well. The Bible says, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the what? The gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you go back a chapter in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see the same comparison. And as we think about Ephesians chapter 2, we need to recognize the fact that we're not saved by our own works. We're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's nothing that we have done, but it was all by what Jesus had done. And when we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, it was in my works of what I've done, and plus Jesus. No, it was Jesus alone, God's people say. Only two people, God's people say. And uh, you know what? Let us be uh, uh, grateful of the fact that we are saved, not by our own works, but by uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has taken all our sins away and uh, uh, charged free. And because he was the one that was charged for our sins, and he was the one who died for our sins. And uh, so, uh, if you go back a chapter in Genesis, we see the same comparison. We see man's fall, and that man sins against God. So what do they do? They take uh, fig leaves, and they what? Cover themselves. They cover their shame. Okay? And that's a picture of man trying to hide their own sin. And of course, God, in every way, does not approve of that. He, of course, sacrifices a beast and probably maybe a sheep or a lamb. And he gives a a, a coat of skin to Adam and Eve, which is more permanent. If you think about fig leaves, what happens to leaves after it's taken away from the branch? What what happens? It starts drying. It starts what? Withering away, right? And uh, so uh, a man's work, okay, uh, 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 that picture uh, 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 it gives a great application in knowing that man's work is just temporary, okay? Our own justification, our own righteousness, it's just going to wither away. It's not going to cleanse our sins away. It's not going to cover our sins. No, it has to be the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, as God gave the coats of skin uh, to Adam and Eve, it's another picture of the sacrifice to come, uh, the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And, of course, Jesus Christ covers all of our sins, and it is permanent, amen? It is permanent, and that we cannot improve upon it, and it is a perfect work. And that, in, and that he had to die only once, and what a wonderful God that we have today. But as we think about this wonderful picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, Cain, in every way, uh, smeared it because he gave the works of man as a sacrifice. Now, why did Cain act this way? Was he ignorant of what God wanted? Maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, 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 maybe uh, he did it to maybe show off. And uh, maybe he knew that sacrifice was to be of a lamb or maybe the firstling of the flock. Maybe he wanted to give some credit to himself and saying, I worked hard and here's my tithe, here's my offering. And uh, I want to make sure I'm involved in it. And maybe he had that heart. But through it all, we see, I believe, that he, in every way, had the terrible sin called pride. Because the way he responds to God later on, we see 
that he had a terrible sin called pride that was overtaking his life. And he had arrogance, he had conceit, and also he had a stiff neck. And I believe even in ourselves, the great hindrances of our lives is pride. And many of our fleshly struggles are battles between us and God. And what I want rather than what God wants. Serving self than serving God. Glorifying ourselves than glorifying God. I think about Ronald Reagan, the former president during the 80s. And uh, he recalled an occasion when he was a governor of California and made a speech in Mexico City after uh, 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 after he had finished speaking. And he evaluated himself in his mind, you know, I did a pretty good job. But he sat down in a very disappointed response with no unenthusiastic applause. And he was a little embarrassed at that time. And the speaker, uh, and the speaker I'm sorry, who followed him spoke in Spanish, which he didn't understand. And he was being applauded about every paragraph. And to hide his embarrassment of his maybe uh, a terrible presentation, he started clap for the other speaker because everyone else was clapping for him. And uh, as he was clapping along every paragraph, he was clapping the loudest and applauding the loudest. And then the ambassador leaned over to Ronald Reagan, and, uh, and he said, I wouldn't do that if I were you, sir. He is interpreting your speech. And uh, no one's laughing. It's a humorous story. He was actually applauding for his own speech, okay? And, uh, but I thought it was funny. And uh, if, it, if, it, if you don't think it is, it's okay. You do. All right. And, uh, you know, I did prepare much as I can for this message, but it's okay. All right. But anyways, I try to do my best for laughter, and uh, I'm not a very good, uh, uh, you know, a humorous person. But anyways, uh, but, you know, uh, sometimes we do that. We applaud ourselves, don't we? And, uh, you know, we clap ourselves. And, uh, you know, uh, and we don't even know it sometimes. And, uh, you know, uh, 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 it's not he must increase, but I, uh, but I must increase. And uh, we, are, we ourselves are the biggest stumbling blocks sometimes. And, and Cain did not realize this. His pride went so far that he killed his own brother. He killed his own brother. Even afterwards, he asked the Lord, what does he say? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I, am I a babysitter? I don't know where my brother is. And, uh, you know, be careful of the pride. It's most deceitful and destructive force in our lives. I'm reminded of the words of Paul to the Galatians in Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish? Are you so dumb, he says. Having begun in the, fool- in the spirit, I'm sorry. Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? They were convinced that they needed to keep all the laws and ordinances and even circumcision to, per- 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 to perfect themselves in Christ. Now, what does this do? It puffs them up. Works always do. And this fleshly uh, uh, act was going around the church. So the apostle gives a convicting question in Galatians 5. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that called it you. So someone hindered other Christians in that church in the way of Hey, make sure you follow the law. Look, all the things that you're keeping, hey, that's going to make you to be more perfect. And that's going to make you to be more, more mature. 
The Apostle Paul says, you're a fool. You're not perfected by the flesh. You're perfected by the Spirit. And when you're perfected by the Spirit, you're perfected by God's grace. And as we think about the Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, some people could hinder us today. And some people could give you flattering lips. And they could, they could applaud you and, and they could make you feel good. But next thing you know, you're puffing yourself up. And, uh, and, and the people of the world could do that to you. How dare they at the church tell you what to do from the Bible? How dare they instruct you of where to go and not to do things? And how dare you preach so uh, strong about some sins? And who do they think they are? And who does God think he is to let us know that we're going to die and go to hell? And the world could puff you up and thinking, hey, we're better than this. No, ladies and gentlemen, we're not better than this. That's why we need God's word. And that's why we need the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. We're not better. We're worse without God. And we need God's help more than ever. And we need God's admonishment. And we need God's reproof sometimes to kill our pride, to to die to self so that we could have uh, uh, Jesus Christ to be the king uh, overall in our hearts and so that we could be more like him. And ladies and gentlemen, we're fooling ourselves and thinking that we're always good. No, we're not. We're sinners by nature. We're not good. We're terrible sinners, and we need God's grace, and we need God's forgiveness, and we need God's renewal, and we need God's grace. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, do not get in the way of pride. Do not puff yourself up in this race that you're running this year. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, pride can spread like a disease in any church. People puffing each other up, and that's what devil wants to destroy the church. Notice the words persuasion. It's not of the truth. God has not called us to the spirit of pride and, of, and the flesh. No, God has called us to the spirit of grace and the spirit of humility. I think of the strong confrontation that the Apostle Paul had toward the Corinthian church, many sins and problems that they had. So on the second letter, Apostle commends them for being humble and repenting. And that's the type of response we should have when we do fall. We get up in humility and not in pride. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at with me in verse 9. It says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrow to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, the selfsame thing that ye sorrow after a godly sort, what carefulness is wrought in you? Yea, what clearing of yourselves? Yea, what indignation? Yea, what fear? Yea, what vehement desire? Yea, what zeal? Yea, what revenge? In all things ye have approved. Apostle Paul says, I applaud you. Why? Not because you're prideful. Not because you're puffing yourself up. I applaud you because you're humble. After you read my letter, after you heard my letter, letter, you sought the Lord in godly sorrow. You know, the Bible talks about here, if you go back a screen, it talks about uh, 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 the sorrow of the world, the sorrow of the world. You know, the world knows that they're guilty sometimes, and they have this sorrow. And I think about a great example, Judas Iscariot. And he found out that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was charged and that he was to die on the cross. Did he have some sorrow? Yes or no? Yeah. He wept bitterly. <coughs> he wept bitterly. And, 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 but then, 
Did he get saved? He felt sorry for himself, but he didn't get saved. And uh, he didn't have that godly sorrow that brought repentance. He felt sorry for himself, but it did not have the answer. Why? Because it was still about Judas. It was still about Judas. It was about Jesus Christ. It was about Judas. I did wrong. Look what I've done. He didn't find repentance in Jesus Christ. He didn't find the solution and the forgiveness of Jesus. He didn't find that he sinned against God, the Son of God, the, the God of creation, the God of this world. He didn't seek God. That's what happened. And that's why he hanged himself. He died. He committed suicide. He's in hell today. Yes, he has sorrow, but he didn't have godly sorrow. And ladies and gentlemen, I wonder if there's somebody here in this room who's not born again, and you might have some sorrow about your sin, but you're not directing yourself to God Almighty, and you're not seeing yourself sinning against God and going to down to a place called the Lake of Fire. I remember when I got saved at 18 years old, I realized I sinned against the God of God and the Lord of Lords, and that he was the only one that I, I, I sinned against, and that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he died on that cross for my wrongdoings. He didn't, he didn't do anything wrong. He died for me and me only. And when I realized that, I just had to kneel. I just had to creep at the, at the hill of Golgotha and, and cling to Calvary and say, Dear God, I'm not worthy. Dear God, I need to be saved. And thank God on that day I got saved. I received Christ as my personal Savior. Not because of the sorrow of the world, because of the godly sorrow and knowing that I sinned against Christ and Christ alone. And if there's somebody here today who you, do not, you don't realize this about, I encourage you to be saved. I encourage you to receive Christ as your personal Savior and kill your pride and kill that, that terrible man inside of you, hindering you from receiving Christ. And uh, as we think about godly sorrow, as we think about our Christian life, don't forget your day of salvation. Don't forget that time when you had that godly sorrow and when God wants to work in your life, when God wants to reprove you and when, when God wants to direct you in the right direction, forget not about the godly sword that you had in salvation and bring forth that same repentance again about your sin, about the one that whom you sin against and repent to the Lord and get right with God. And I think about James chapter 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore you fail. God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Notice that. Why do we want to chase God away? Why do we want to do that? Why do we want to chase God away? I don't, I don't know why we want to do that. I think it's because of pride. I think it's because of our arrogance. I think it's because of that sinful desire of our own hearts, pleasing ourselves. But we need to humble ourselves before God and invite God back in and be humble and seek God's grace in our lives. And you're better off with God Almighty, ladies and gentlemen. Do not chase God away because of pride like Cain did. And Cain, within his heart, I'm sure he said, I don't want any of your counsel. I don't want any of you, Lord. I want to do my own thing. I'm going to kill my own brother. I'd rather become a vagabond. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, let's not treat God that way. He wants to counsel us. 
He wants to guide us, and he wants to strengthen us and, and put us uh, back in the, uh, the right journey that he has directed us to. And uh, I think about the devil. I think about Satan. Did you know Satan? I know uh, in every way uh, 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 he had uh, the heart of rebellion. Uh, but we can uh, uh, get, uh, get, ourself, uh, get our, our, our mind uh, away from the fact that this, uh, this being had the heart of pride. He thought that he was better than God. He thought he could be bigger than God. He thought he could do whatever he wanted to do outside of God, but he couldn't. And uh, now he is verdict to go to the lake of fire one day. And he is deceived even now, thinking that he could win. But ladies and gentlemen, he won't win. And, uh, and, and there's some of you are, are being deceived uh, 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 by the devil, by his cunning desire and by his cunning working. And do not follow the way of the devil, my friend, and the way of Cain. Follow the way of God. Follow the way of Jesus Christ. Not my way, but thine be done. And follow the way of Christ. The downfall because of pride. Number two, the downfall because of comparison. <coughs> because of comparison, look at verse 4 and verse 5. It says, And Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now, why did Cain speak to Abel and not God? Why is that? I know uh, God spoke to Cain, and uh, God says, if thou doest well, you will be accepted. If you, do not, if you, if you don't do well, sin light at the door. We, we see clearly from the scripture that God spoke to Cain, but we don't see a response from Cain. Now, maybe Cain responded in his heart. I'm not sure, but it's not in the inspiration of the scripture here. It's not preserved here for us to know, but it's very obvious that Cain should have done it, and uh, maybe he did. I'm not sure. But we see the next act. Who does he talk to? He doesn't talk to God, but he talks to who? Talks to Abel. Why does, God talk, uh, why does Cain talk to Abel? Because I believe that he was bitter against Abel. He hated Abel for being God's favorite. And by the way, God doesn't have favorites. God's not a respecter of person. God loves everybody here in this room. God wants best for everybody in this room. God doesn't favor anybody by, you know, by uh, unfairness, no. God in every way loves Cain, and loved Cain, I'm sorry, and loved Abel. But Cain did not do right. So according to God's righteousness and God's holiness, God says, I cannot accept your offering. But I'll give you another chance. I want you to do it again. He says, if you do as well, you will be accepted. And he's giving him another chance. Do it again. Get back up. Do it again. I'll receive your offering. Repent and do it again. But Cain says, no way. I'm not going to do it. And then he goes to Abel. And with this sin of envy, with the sin of jealousy, he kills his own brother. He kills his own brother. And as we think about this example here, ladies and gentlemen, one of the most terrible sin is envy. Envy. Proverbs 27, verse 4, wrath is cruel. Anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Why was the Lord Jesus Christ 
uh, uh, try to be crucified. Do you know why? The Bible says because of envy. The Bible says in Mark chapter 15, verse 10, For ye knew that the chief priests had delivered him for what? For envy. So Jesus Christ was tried in an unfair way by Pilate, and he was crucified on that cross, not because he did anything wrong, but because of the sin of envy. And many of our sins can be traced back to envy. We don't dig dig enough sometimes. And we could hate somebody because deep down we have envy. And, And why do people love him more than me? That's envy. We want a promotion because deep down we have envy. Why does, boss, why does the boss like him more than me? Why does he get a higher pay more than me? Why does those people get promotion, not me? We can gossip about someone because deep down we have envy. Why does she always talk? Why is she always talked about in a good way and not me? So let me talk bad about her. Let me talk bad about him. We can have arguments because deep down we have envy. Why does he or she always have to be right? Let me get my words in. Deep down in our hearts, not only do we have the sin of pride, we have the sin of envy many times. And we need to repent of this sin. And we need to be aware of the sin because it could creep up in our lives in a very subtle way. And it could ruin us in a very fast way as well. I think about First Timothy chapter 6, verse 4. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railing, even surmising. Envy is a very hidden sin that we always overlook sometimes. And even in arguments, as we think about the scripture here, and uh, uh, in First Timothy 6, hey, why are you arguing? Why are you always having strife? Oh, it's because of envy. You have envy in your heart. That's why. And uh, look deep down in your heart, and you'll find the sin of envy riding you away. I think about Proverbs 14, verse 30. A sound heart is like the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Let us all be careful of envy this year. Let us not commit it. And, uh, you know, we live in a very social media-driven world. Be careful of Facebook sometime and Instagram. You know, everybody is doing wonderful in social media. Everything is fine. Everything is perfect. And it's, it, it becomes a very terrible facade about life. And what happens is sometimes, as you look at Facebook and Instagram sometimes, you tend to compare yourself. Hey, how come that person is doing so well and not me? And that depression could come in your life. Be careful of that. Be very careful with that. I get a little wary when my preacher friends just post up numbers of how many people they had at church and and how many people, uh, you know, uh, they had in different events. And and not because I'm envious or maybe I'm jealous, but it becomes very vain. It becomes about numbers all the time. And uh, and, 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 and ladies and gentlemen, uh, I, I thank the Lord for big days that we had and like, Christmas Sunday or Thanksgiving Sunday. But I think ministry is more bigger than that. The ministry is not puffing ourselves up and how many people we had here. It's, about more, it's becoming more like Jesus Christ. And it's, it's about worshiping Christ. And if you have more people worshiping Christ, praise the Lord. 
But this number system is, a van- is total vanity. I mean, you need to be very careful. And I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. For we dare, not our <coughs> we dare not ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend ourselves, but they measuring, the, uh, measuring themselves by ourselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We become fools. We become fools when we are comparing ourselves. Be careful as you're running this race. Do not look. Let them run. Just look at Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus Christ. With that in mind, number three, downfall because of being stiff-necked. Because of stiff-necked. Verse 6 through 8. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wrought? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin light at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. Came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. The Lord gives counsel. And, but, the, but does Cain take heed? Yes or no? No, he doesn't. You see, it's okay to fall sometimes, but for we are all sinners. Sinners sin and make mistakes. But the question is, are we moldable or are we hardened? And uh, have you ever worked with clay? If you ever, ever worked with clay, raise your hand. You have maybe played with clay before, okay? I have when I was doing art some, uh, a while back. And uh, when I was working with clay, you know, time is of the essence. Because if I take too much time or get lazy, what happens to the clay? Start hardening. And, uh, you know, you try to mold that hardened clay. Is it easy? No. And you try to wet that clay and try to make it more moldable by moisturizing it. Is it ever the same compared to the original? No, it's not. Even though you try to wet it, even though you try to moisturize it, it's the, 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 the air has got deep into the clay so much that it's almost impossible to make it, to, uh, make it uh, uh, like the original uh, uh, sealed clay that you were working with before. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I think as Christians sometimes that it's easy for us to maybe get ourselves moldable again. No, it's not. If your hearts get hardened over and over again and you let it sit for a while, I guarantee you it's that harder to get yourself moldable again. Yes, it is possible still if you keep on uh, 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 repenting and getting yourself right with God and, 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 and get yourself uh, back into uh, 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 the spiritual things of God. It is possible, but it will take much longer. But as your heart is soft right now, don't you let it ever get hardened. Don't let the devil do that to you. Don't let the flesh do that to you. And make sure that you're seeking counsel and that you're inviting counsel all the time. And I think about Proverbs 29, verse 1. He that being often reproved, hardened in his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And, uh, and ladies and gentlemen, you see, if you harden yourself over and over again, God says, I will break you. I will break you. And, and you will have no remedy. And, 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 and ladies and gentlemen, and, and Cain became that way. He became a Legabite. And, and a person who had no home, a person who didn't, he couldn't go back to his own family. And, and we see that there's two lines in the book of Genesis, the line of Seth and the line of Cain. And from the line of Seth came the descendant of who? 
the person who built the ark, what's his name? Noah. Noah came from the line of Shem. We see in Genesis uh, chapter 5, we see that very clearly. And, and I believe that Cain was wiped out. The line of Cain was wiped out in the, in the time of flood. And the provision is not uh, in every way mentioned how Noah is connected to Cain. But as we think about this, it's very obvious that the wicked is not remembered. The wicked is not remembered. The Bible is very clear about that. That the way of righteousness is always remembered. I hope you're not going in the way of Cain this morning as you're running this range, uh, race, being stiff-necked, being hardy. Be moldable. Have the right counsel in your life. And I think about Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, and uh, we'll finish here. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall he of the re- flesh reap corruption, for he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. God's not mocked. God's not going to fool around with you about dirt, about your hardened heart. He's not going to do that. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And he'll, he's a good accountant. Do not play games with God. Let's run this race, my friend. Not in pride, not in comparison, not being stiff-necked. Let us run in humility. Let us run focused on Jesus Christ. Let us run being moldable and in a humble way.